0: One chance, one life, one take. Hello and welcome to the Dead Funny, Dead Serious podcast. My name is Mitzi. I am your host for this series. This is the 30 End of Life in 30 Days series. And today our End of Life Duela is Chantel Riley. Hello, Chantel. Hello. Uh, You are joining us from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. As we get going, your business, just to put it out, is Dignity with Departure. and we are going to have all those links in the show notes so everyone can find you. And okay. let's just go for it. Why did you go into the end of life doula business?
1: I, well, as I tell people constantly, death is what brought me to the end of life doula business. And I experienced death. And to me, it was three different forms, three types of experiences that were, um, that were death related. And my first experience was my, my mother, she died in 2009. Um, she had a stroke. And it kind of converted from, you know, not getting oxygen to the brain to bleeding in the brain. So we were in a, a period of like, like 24 hours before we were being asked what to do because she wasn't going to make it. And that was a very, very challenging position to be in because, but it wasn't as challenging because of the fact that she constantly talked about what she didn't want. She didn't want us to do what she referred to as all the extra things and I did not find out till I was in nursing school what she meant by all the extra things. And that was like all the life sustaining measures. So like, you know, putting in tubes and things like that. And it was like, oh, you know, so, okay. So when it came time to make the decision it was an easy choice to make because we were just honoring her choices but she did not have an advanced directive. And so that in 2016, I lost my, my oldest son my firstborn son, he was murdered here in Milwaukee. And that was um, a very difficult, challenging experience for me in just kind of going from the process of, you know, one day being who you are to having no clue who you were anymore because the things that were all connected with you having your children, you know, you lose one. It, it changes the course of your life totally. And then a year later, my grandmother, she passed away. She was at the lovely age of 90, um, had the experience of being able to bring her home on hospice and allowing her, you know, that that well-overdue privilege of being able to die at home. So three deaths, three different experiences, three different perspectives for me. And what I kind of took away from that was that death can be beautiful, but it can also be very traumatic. And depending on what, when, why, and how, how that ends up looking, but then also how we end up processing those different experiences and being able to kind of move into that space of grief, if we can actually move into that space of grief, dealing with how we actually lost that person. So after my grandmother died, um, and my, my son, it was like, I wanted to start talking to people about like the value of life insurance and advanced directives. And I originally was like, you know, like I just want to, you know, like work with people and try to get them to understand like the value of these things. Because my son, when we had a conversation a week before he was murdered, that we should get him life insurance because he had a son. And it's just like, okay, you know, like we should do this because, you know, like one day, you know, like when you die, I said, it was kind of like a poor man's inheritance type of, you know, thought process. Like, you know, when you get older and one day you die, you know, it'd be nice to like leave your son something, you know, behind. And so, you know, he's like, yeah, I should. And like I said, a week later, he was gone. We didn't get a chance to follow up on that. So we were trying to figure out financially how to be able to bury him. So so I started doing community education on the value of like advanced directives and life insurance But I noticed people really weren't showing up um, to it. And I, but it was like one of those things, I wish I could just like work with people like one-on-one, you know, kind of talk to them about these things so they can understand like how important this is and like, you know, what they need to do and understanding that it's not just related to someone getting older or someone being sick. It's something as simple as going to the grocery store can put you in a position where someone that cares for you has to make that decision for you. So my friends and I'm like talking to them about this and, and I keep talking, I keep talking about it. And so they started sending me this video and they were like, you know, like I saw this video, you should really take a look at it. And I was like, okay, you know, the second person was like, you know, oh, I tagged you in this video. And I was like, okay, you know. So by the time the third person actually tagged me, the video, I was like, let me look at this video and see <laughs> what what are people tagging me in? Cause you know, there's some type of theme that's happening here. Cause everybody keeps tagging me in this video. So I actually finally looked at the video. And I remember it was um, a little author. And she was sitting at a table um, with, it was a woman. She had two adult children. It must have been like her grandchild kind of like in the background, you know, like playing or carefree, like minding his business. And it was something about her, the, the woman talking about like what her choices were and the things kind of related to death. And like sitting at this table, having her adult children hear it from her, you know, and then looking at that child in the background being carefree. And it was like, gosh, you know, like the strength that it must have taken her to be able to share those things, you know, in front of her children and for them to hear them from her versus, you know, wondering, questioning, you know, and this child that's in the background that's like carefree and not having to carry like any of these burdens about these things. And then I remember her saying that she was a deaf doula and I was like, what the hell is that? You know, I'm like, is that a real thing? I'm like, okay, like that's never heard of that, but I want to be that I want to do that. And I was like, Hmm, but is that a real thing though? Like, did she just make this shit up? And then like, here we are, like, you know, she just, okay, sure. This is what I'm going to call myself, and I'm just going to be it. And I was like, okay. So then I started like, you know, of course, Google, you know, the education center of the world. I'm like, you know, Googling it. And I'm looking and I'm like, huh, this is actually a real thing. And I'm like, how do I do this? And so there's like these different programs that were out there and they were available. You know, there's online, there was one that was actually here in Wisconsin somewhere, but I ended up gravitating to one that I chose that I just felt like it was kind of perfect for me. So it was like, let's, you know what, let's start this journey you know, to do this, because this is really what I want to do. So yeah, that's how I became
0: a death doula. (laughs) It's a, it's a touching and beautiful path that you were on and your three Mm -hmm. friends that really knew you and tagged you in that Mm -hmm. (laughs) video. They were like, I think this is for you. How many people found out about end of life doulas from that video, right? Because yeah, what a great way to find out. I know we have somebody yeah. on here that went down a rabbit hole and pretty much, and the internet, you know, and found the it's term true. end of life doula. And it was like, "Oh, what is that? I, that is what mm-hmm. I want to be. That's what I've been wanting to be. Yeah. I just didn't know it had a name. Yes. Yeah.
1: So very real.
0: Definitely. It's, it's poignant and touching and beautiful how those things Thank kind of you. lined up. Yeah. Yes. What training, may I ask, did you take that was, that spoke to you? So I like
1: to say, I kind of looked around, I'm looking, you know, at like cost, you know, like how long is the training, you know, like what are they offering in the training, you know, and, and for me, it was really important because one, you know, as I people tell people, my day job is a nurse. And so Like I'm looking for like models, like care models and things like that. So I'm trying to figure out like, you know, like where is this in alignment with things that I actually understand? And I ended up, like I said, gravitating to a training. Um, It was through Lifespan Doula Association and they had like birth and death doulas. You know, it's like they were doing the, the, you know, the spectrum is what I call it. And I chose them one, the biggest reason why I chose them was one, it was in person. Two, it was because of the fact that they kind of had more of a, what they refer to as a doula care model. So it was more of a holistic care model where it was like, you know, like you have the client, but also everyone that surrounds the client, you know, in this process all have, you know, they all have value. They all play a part in this. So it's like, they also need to be considered as well. So I was like, this is the one. So I loaded up my grandson and my youngest son and we took a road trip to Ann Arbor, Michigan. (laughs) And we did this three-day super intense, you know, training. And it was like the like most I don't even have a word other than magical right now to describe it experience because 25 of us, it was 25 of us in this space. And the diversity of the 25 of us that were in that space was totally amazing. Those people who worked in hospice, you know, hospice volunteers There were social workers, lawyers, physical therapists, speech therapists, you know, massage therapists. And it was like, you know, um, from like all different like walks of life. And it was just like, you know, so you walk in this room with strangers and then you walk out with the community. And it was like wow, this is, like, amazing, and I just remember the setting, like, you walked into the space, it was kind of, like, it was, like, like, a, you know, a big-ass living room, pretty much, <laughs> it was, like, there's sofas, there's chairs, you know, like, and, you know, like, some of us are, like, sitting on the floor, like, during, like, our lectures and stuff like that, and I was, like, I love this space, I love this space to talk about, like, such a topic that's, like, so heavy, you know, that it was a nurturing type of environment. So like to this day, I said, you know, the creator willing that I create a space, I like that concept because when there are things that are so uncomfortable for us to really, truly talk about, to create an environment of comfort, to say kind of like, welcome in, come on in, take your shoes off and let's get comfortable. Cause we're about to talk about some heavy, uncomfortable shit right now. So let's do that. And I will, yeah. And so, After you kind of, the training literally approached you with how you felt about death and your relationship with death and kind of like pulled that like wide open and then started to like enter in like new information, different perspectives, you know, adding tools to how to be able to approach these things and deal with them. And it was like, wow. And, you know, like, you're all like excited after you're done, you know, and everything. And then all of a sudden day three rolls around and you're like, "Ooh, that was really heavy. So, and they, they told us like at the end of our training, like, you know, like you're going to want to take a little bit of time to kind of sit with, you know, the information that you, you received before you decide to move in on that information, which was very true. So I thought I was all super gung ho and excited, you know, like, and I was like, and I created this business and. In the midst of that, it was like, I started death Cafe because I found that when I was going down and looking for a doula, you know, this concept rabbit hole. So then here I am facilitating death Cafes and everything. And, but it's, yeah. So that training was just, it was an amazing three-day, you know, full like clenching, touching, um, opening experience. And like, I'm grateful for it because I get to take that approach into the people that I interact with.
0: Thank you for sharing your experience with Lifespan. I haven't heard somebody review that yet. And I really appreciate all the detail that you gave.
1: Okay.
0: I love myself a good room where you can kick off your shoes uh, and settle into work.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I
0: I think the same way about my therapy room, right? When anyone comes in, I want people to feel comfortable enough Mm -hmm. to be like, this, yes. is, this is the work we're doing. I can spread out and I can right. have some tea and kick off my shoes and everyone's comfortable, however you want yeah. to be.
1: Yes.
0: Also, really standing out to me that I have not heard yet is family therapists. We work systemically that you're interested in that care model piece where we're not islands, right? Right. All the people around us, right. as we're dying, as our, our loved ones are dying. This is a system and even the doctors, the nurses.
1: Yes, yes.
0: People live in assisted living, the staff. This is you know, yes. all, the whole, piece. Yes. loving that piece. I have not heard somebody bring that up as a, an important piece yet. So I'm putting a yes. gold star there and people should be listening mm. to that. <laughs> <Gold star. laughs> so you, you get out of this training And you take a moment for some self-care and some self-reflection it sounds like because it's heavy Mm -hmm. what happens then (laughs) yes Uh, what happens then how do you get to this what are the challenges of
1: challenge number one people do not know you exist as you know as it's interesting because as like we are like having these discussions and we find our people in our spaces you know typically it's fellow you know other doulas you know midwives whatever the terminology that they actually use then that's fine um but like getting yourself into spaces outside of the the community and people knowing that you exist um is probably the biggest challenge because I know I still hear it to this day. People are like, how do they get in contact with you? How do they find you? Because I'm like, how many people are actually really just sitting here doing, you know, with the Google, like, let me find a deaf doula. Let me, you know, I think I need one of those. And it's just kind of like, if you don't really know how and what, you know, what they do, they actually even exist, it's like, how can you find them? How would you connect with them? So it's such a void to be able to make that connection. And, but I am, I'm learning now kind of as I'm navigating, cause this has been, I think I'll be three years. I will be a deaf dude, I think in August, three years. <laughs> and so that I'm starting to learn that there are spaces that you need to Put yourself into to get into alignment so so yeah so one knowing that you know we, we exist um the other challenge that I, I see that i was already seeing before becoming a deaf doula when it comes down to like the medical profession that the the concept is to save. you know it is to not you know allow someone to die and because death equals failure i feel that they they make that relationship that if the person dies that they fail that person. And what gets missed in all of that is that there's this thing called quality of life. And because of the mission becomes to save the person, we miss giving that person an opportunity to have a quality of life in that process and giving them the freedom to choose that versus let's go. You know, I, I had the my last client, we had the first conversation we started talking about was the war mentality. You know, like, you know, you got to fight, you got to fight, you know, fight, fight. And I'm like, okay, very challenging mentality. I said, because of the fact that if someone told you, you had to go to war into a totally different country and you knew nothing about your adversary, you knew nothing about who you were going against. Um, they know a little bit, but they don't know a lot, you know, but they send you out here to fight against what you're not really knowing. If you're really equipped to do all these things, how do you do all these things to win? I said, and then you have to have someone who is victorious and someone has to lose, you know, someone has to fall. So that gives you the mentality that you're thinking, like I have to win. And if I don't win, then I'm a failure. You know and I've, I've fallen so i don't want to be the person that looks like i've fallen so you go into this fight not fully prepared not fully knowing what you're up against you know you just know that you you need to fight it and win that's it so when we're looking at your opponent being cancer we know things but we don't know everything so to go into it with this mentality that you feel, like I said, you see sometimes people read like in obituaries and comments, they lost their, you know, like their fight against cancer. And it's like, I see that and I cringe because it's like, no, no, you know, like it took the strength for a person to say yes to do the treatment the same way it would take the strength of a person to say no. So we have to kind of shift like the mindset of thinking, you know. Medical, you know, advancements have created, you know, kind of like a monster when it comes down to death. You know, like, like death is the adversary, and it's just like, does it have to be? You know, like, really, it doesn't have to be. Can we really try to rethink, you know, and reapproach that to knowing that this is part of the life process? Everyone doesn't have the, you know, uh, this long. Like I, I constantly tell people, you born, you're born, and then you die. So in the middle, you can have this much time or this much time, but what matters is what we do with that time that we have. So to start looking at it from a quality of life perspective, then to really be putting it like, you know, this fight against to win something, you know, like, so I have to fight for my life, you know, like, why not just be able to live your life? So... So shifting like that mindset, the thinking that we have to always fight to the very, very end of something, and allowing people to choose to live, you know, until the end of something. So changing that, you know, shifting that mindset is another challenge because, you know, this is what we're being socially conditioned to think this way. Versus, you know, like let's 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 rethink this, you know, and. And not saying just not choose to do anything, but like have the other side of that conversation with them, saying, Okay, you know, this is what's gonna happen. You know, how do you feel about if these are the side effects? How do you feel about that? You know, I had a client, I said, Well, if you choose to do treatment, ask them with your provider, would they be supportive if you decided to stop? And what would that look like? So you can ask that question. So it's it's challenging a lot of the the traditional old mindsets about things, what else I I find is, it's challenging. So those are like the two biggest things for me.
0: (laughs) Quick question. Do you believe you, your position as a nurse, or is it an advantage for helping change the system?
1: I do believe so. I really do. Um, And that's one of the reasons why there was that, that underlying intention of wanting, because I could have easily went into hospice. You know, I'm a nurse. I could have just become a hospice nurse, like truthfully, you know, and so if, I, if that's what I, if that was just really to be in that type of space, but it was more about really having the ability to truly connect with people on such a vulnerable level And having that continuity in that relationship versus, you know, I come in for an hour visit, you know, or I come in and do an assessment, you know, and then maybe a little talk here and there and then I'm out, you know, but I get to meet you where you are and I get to follow you through the whole process. And not only do I get to follow you through the process, I get to come in contact with everyone who is connected with you in the process. So then when you do depart, I continue to work with them as part of that process. So it doesn't end, you know, like we're, we're continuing that part of that process. So I like having pretty much the freedom and the ability to be able to determine what the relationship with my clients looks like based upon their needs and not being navigated by, I'm gonna say control, being controlled by, you know, organizations and policies and politics, things like that. So. I prefer that, I, I I prefer to have, you know, them to determine what the relationship looks like versus someone telling me what it's supposed to look like. But being able to come into spaces, like having, you know, access sometimes to providers and things like that, to be able to kind of plant that seed, like, you know, hey, you know, like, yeah, so she doesn't want hospice, you know, and I'm like, Well, has anybody really talked to her about hospice and explaining to her really what hospice is? Because people right now think that hospice is the automatic death sentence. And I'm like, it is so far from it. Um, But it takes someone to, that they have a rapport and a relationship with, Mm -hmm. you know, to talk to them about like, this is what they are, this is what they do. And this is how they can help you. So... But people think that it's, it just means you're knocking on death door or you've given up the fight. And now you show up at Like people go to hospice and they die. I'm like, no, because people typically arrive at the door a little too late. Mm-hmm. So if you can start this relationship early with them, you can receive the benefits and the connection. I said, they will become invested in you and what you need. And it's a totally different perspective. And so, yeah, so it's it's a lot of that. Like, let's have some real conversations and talk about this in a real way you know, and meeting people where they are and helping them understand what that can actually look like. So, yeah, I feel like it does. And I kind of was aware of that when I got into the space, mm-hmm. but it's more, you know, cause like to ask that question to say, you know, well, you know, why don't you ask your provider, you know, like, what would that look like if you, would you support me if I decided to stop? You know, if I decided said, this is enough, I said, where is your line in the sand? You know, and the thing is, it's sand. It's always movable. So you can start here today, and next week you can change that and move that line. So it's okay. But to be able, and then like I tell them, I am my day job is a nurse, but sometimes it slides in. You know, little things, but still putting them in the the space of control and navigating what they need to do.
0: As much as I want to, kind of fight the system, the, the bureaucracy of medicalization, when it comes to being a licensed Mm -hmm. nurse, it brings authority. Saying my end of life doula is a registered nurse and she's helping me with X, Y, and Z, brings some authority to this medical conversation that we're having, Right? Mm -hmm. that the the medical system needs to hear that there's people on Mm -hmm. all the sides that are saying we need non-medical care at end of life as well as medical care. And there's yes. other perspectives, and we're going to listen to the humans in front of us.
1: Yes, yeah. yes.
0: And so, my hope—this isn't my podcast, and I'm not going to answer my hopes on this—but my hope <laughs> is that it does. It is an advantage that you are a registered mm-hmm. nurse and an end-of-life doula, because I, yes. I want it to work. <laughs> I guess that's fine. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. if we can, <laughs> you know, we're just kind of cracking the ice just a little and watching it crack. And sometimes it really authority is. matters, and so Elua, yes. right, is a lawyer that does this work. Yes, and yes, right. And there's some morticians that do this work, and there's some social workers that do this mm-hmm.
1: work. Mm-hmm. And
0: I want to use their authority to crack the ice. I don't think anyone has to have a license or you know certifications or anything else. I think this is community care. Again, this is yes, absolutely. And absolutely. I'm hoping. <laughs> You were like, Mitzi, shush. (laughs) Uh, But I just think that this is cracking the ice. And when I saw Chantal, the reason that I reached out to you to be part of this podcast, because Mm. I was like, oh, we have a registered nurse that does this. Uh, And I was like, I have a feeling that this is a good thing. And that if we can all work together, we're all cracking that ice a little bit faster and harder.
1: Yes, yes.
0: So good. All right, so my favorite part of this series, what are your hopes for End-of-Life Duelists, the business, your business?
1: The hope is that people utilize us, um, connect with us. Um, The hope is that a space starts to open for us within the medical side, you know, and not doing medical work, but understanding comprehensively for the person that we we're part of that team. We can be part of that team. Um, I love the concept of being able to meet a person from the time that they get a life-limiting diagnosis, you know, like I said, and following through with being able to support their their support team. And like I tell people, support team doesn't necessarily always have to mean family. It's the people who care for you, love you, and support you. So we I like to pull away from family titles and roles and dynamics and things like that. So like, even when I talk about advanced directives, it doesn't automatically, your power of attorney doesn't automatically have to be your oldest child. It does not automatically have to be the daughter. It does not automatically have to be your spouse. So you want someone who can advocate for you and be able to follow through with your wishes. That might just be your best friend, you know? So, so take offense, you know, do not take offense, daughter, husband, you know, partner, whatever, this goal is to, because you will probably be so emotionally invested in that person that the minute someone offers you and says, well, if we do this, this could probably buy them some more time. And of course you love them so much that you'll do anything, anything. So to be able to pull that back and say, that's not what they wanted you know, and be able to follow through with that, not coming into an emotional space with it. So, so yeah, so like removing that, the, the titles and the roles like that, and just knowing that this is your support team and who is your support team and understanding that they're going to need that too. So being able to continue to educate people, like I tell people, you need to be consumers in death the same way you're consumers in life. You know, like we buy cars. We don't just go to the car lot and tell, they tell us what they want us to have. We go in with our mind already made up, like, this is what I need. This is what I'm looking for. This is my budget. Why not go to the funeral home and saying, this is the idea, this is what I want, and this is my budget, you know? And not offer me something in the most vulnerable, emotional space that I'm going to be in at that moment and offer me all of these things that I don't necessarily need, you know? Because yes, at the end of the day, it's a business, you know? So of course, just like the person who's selling you the car, they're going to want you to get all the bells and whistles, you know, it adds to their commission. So it's like, they're getting a benefit from that. But yes, like, you know, I am, I am very, a big, strong believer, you know, of letting yourself be a consumer in death, taking those steps, being proactive, having the conversations early and utilizing when you know you're uncomfortable, utilizing a doula to help navigate those conversations learning about what you desire what you want what you fear what your concerns are and being able to to be able to learn how to verbalize that so because you can't then you don't and then the family never has the conversation so being able to kind of like get into that part with that person and talk about this and saying hey this is what they want this is what they desire you know and you're hearing it you know but being supported someone not just feeling like it's only me saying this and everybody's gonna be like but dad or mom why do you want this why you don't want that it's just like no and i get to mediate all of that and tell them you know well this is something that they chose and because of this blah 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 blah. you know so we can walk away with not necessarily awful agreement but at least better understanding you know and be able to respect and honor that so yes utilize us find us (laughs) and Changing the death culture of thinking that death is like, you know, it's separate from the life continuum, you know, understanding that death can be beautiful and it also can be traumatic, and being able to meet a person in any of those spaces to offer support. And just the fact that, you know, we allow us to be human, you know, allow people to be humans in this experience of dying and remembering that they had a life to be able to continue to live and have a quality of life until that time. Making them accessible to resources, making things accessible to people who don't have the resources to do that is super, super important. I'm getting ready to start a grief support fund um, that I'm grassrooting because I've been working with mothers in grief support and bereavement through infant loss, perinatal loss, And different, you know, different meeting people in different spaces for grief support. And one of the things that I am starting to find out is that people don't, everybody doesn't have access to grief. And it's something that I, like, I've been doing like this probably for about over a year now. And starting to see that the common theme is that everybody doesn't have the same resources to access grief. And be it, you know, if it's family dynamics, you know, like now I'm like, I'm pulling in social determinants of health because these are the factors and they really are the factors of how people are, grief is being inaccessible to them. And there's the connection of like work performance. And I'm like, you know what? I am about to start raising money. I want to raise money to be able to help people remove some of the barriers so they can access their grief. Because right now we are collectively breathing as a world right now. And the things that we're adding with these experiences is, it's creating more of a barrier for us to be able to function in everyday life. So I, yeah, I decided, I said, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I will have no shame in the game. I am going to, this is going to be a community effort because people need it. And this is a community thing, you know, And so why not ask the community to support people in this process? And so, yeah, so I am deciding to grassroots this and ask people for money. So we can one day give people access to me and other people who need that. We, I would love to see it one day if you were offsetting a single parent's rent, you know, offsetting someone's bills so they don't have to feel the pressure of having to return back to work right away when they have not even begun to process what has happened with them and thinking that they're going to come to work and be a performance person. And it's so many different layers and so many different levels, but I am like, you know what, I'm here for it. I started creating a survey that I'm, I'm asking these questions because these questions I want to know. I need to know and this supports and confirms why I need to do this work. So yeah, that's my hope.
0: Those are great hopes. That's beautiful. It's beautiful.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Uh, Again, Chantelle Riley, Uh, but they're gonna find you on Instagram and Facebook, Dignity with Departure. All those links are in, in the show notes below. And also when you have that fund, uh, up and running. I'm going to put that link in there. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're doing this. You're in it. I'm in it Thanks. with you. Let's do this.
1: I love it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Midwest people.
0: That's yeah we do. Midwest the best. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chantal. Thank you to all the Thank listeners you. that are listening to this podcast. It would mean the world to us if you like or subscribe or leave a comment on YouTube. Uh, It tells us to make more conversations about ethical end-of-life care because it is important and we should do this. And then it's also hopefully entertaining and we're also a little weird and that's fine too. And then of course, go to Patreon and become a patron because you get cool shit. Thanks again. And we will see you all in the next episode.